As usual, I asked our guest Jack Miller to pound the table for someone this offseason. Jack, who you pounded the table for? I'm going to pound the table for T. Higgins with Joe Burrow coming back, hopefully in week one, probably in week one. I think the Burrow-Higgins duo is going to do some real damage this year. Uh, Higgins played 22% of snaps in week one last year, and then Burrow obviously missed the last six games. But in weeks two through 11, Higgins had strong efficiency on 7.9 targets and 105.4 air yards per game. He averaged 14.7 PPR points per game. And that was as a rookie. Rotovis has done some good work on the importance of being efficient as a rookie wide receiver and how the, the rookie wide receivers who are efficient tend to be super good in year two. And so I think Higgins is next in line. It's, I feel like the last couple of years we've kind of had guys, these year two wide receivers going in this range who have outperformed ADP. We had uh, DJ Moore and Ridley a couple of years ago. We had Metcalf and McLaurin. Last year, I think Higgins is that guy this year. I know they drafted Chase, and Chase is definitely going to be a beast long term, but I think there's a decent chance Higgins outperforms him this year, and so T. Higgins is going to be the guy I pound the table for this year. He's currently going in the sixth round, right at the 5-6 turn, actually, on underdog. His ADP wide receiver 26, I think that's minimum around too cheap, and so all in on T. Higgins in year two. Excellent, excellent. I love it. Also, people forget that Jamar Chase might just take A.J. Green's targets. T. Higgins is still going to have plenty of work to go. So, listeners, you heard Jack. Go get you some T. Higgins. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles, and I'm flying solo for the first part of this episode. Chris Allen will be joining us in a little bit, but for now, it's just me, my guest, and a nice glass of Knob Creek rye on the rocks. As I mentioned in the cold open, we're pumped to have Jack Miller on the pod today. You can find Jack on Twitter at JackMiller02. Check out his fantastic content at Establish the Run. Uh, he's also contributed to Rotoviz and even to 4 for 4. Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. How you doing? Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty good. Hyped to be on the show. Haven't done too many podcasts before, so going to try not to mess it up too bad, but excited <laughs> to be here. Uh, no, we're, I'm excited to have you, man. Uh, first off, I, I love Establish the Run. Uh, my co-hosts, Chris and Jen, love Establish the Run. A uh, whole crew of a talented writers over there. I know you're pretty new there. Uh, what, what drew you to the, to the site? Yeah, so I just started a couple weeks ago, actually, and I'm hyped to be on board uh, with a team like, you know, Silva and Levitan, kind of some of the biggest names in the industry. So hopefully I can yeah. learn as much from them as possible because, you know, they're definitely way, way bigger than me and way smarter than me. But in terms of what that's pretty much what drew them, drew me to them. But um, that and then I, I kind of like the, the betting stuff they're doing over there. They have a new discord, that community aspect. I like too. I know four for four does that too, and so I think four for four, I guess, is you know doing doing it right. And then Rotoviz, obviously, great site as well. So no bad things to say about any of those three sites. And I kind of view the three of them as the best niche fantasy analysis in the industry, right? Because you've got these big major media companies like NBC and CBS that do a great job too. But in terms of sites that only focus on fantasy, I think ETR. Four for four, Rotoviz are three of the best out there. And then I guess it was just time for a change in scenery. And then working with guys like Silva and Levitan was a, a great opportunity, I think. 
Yeah, some of the best in the business, absolutely. Uh, check out some of the betting content from pre-draft that Jack put out if you're uh, interested in looking at some of the stuff we did as 4 for 4 ramps up the betting work. Uh, what kind of content are you uh, working on soon and contributing in the near future? We're going to talk about something that you've written recently, but uh, what's kind of on the horizon for you? Yeah, so I'll mostly be doing best ball this summer, and then I'm also going to do some props analysis for ETR. I think I'm going to try to do some more evergreen type props analysis because there's a lot of, you know, bet this, here's why. But I hope that we can get out some more stuff that'll not expire at, as soon as the season ends or as soon as a weekend. So stuff like that. And then uh, best ball content. Yeah, it's definitely tis the season for best ball, which is fantastic. Um, I, As I mentioned, we're going to talk running backs today. This is, uh, uh, you know, a position group that's, uh, I would say, the sexiest position group in fantasy football. People love their running backs. Um, I saw a tweet you put out recently about rookie wide receivers, though, and I, I just want to talk briefly about that before we dig in. Uh, you mentioned that rookie wide receivers outproduce their ADP in best ball drafts. Can you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, so basically between 2015 and 2017, rookie wide receivers averaged a 6.1% win rate in best ball, and the average best ball win rate is 8.3 because 100 percentage points in 12 teams per league. So average is 8.3. Between 2015-2017, rookie wide receivers were at 6.1, so that's pretty terrible. But then over <laughs> the last three years, they were at 9.4%. And so someone asked me in the replies, does this coincide with a more pro-style offense, or is this... Does this have to do with some macro level trend that's happening at, at college and in the NFL? And honestly, I, I don't know what's causing it. It could be variance. It could be some schematic type of thing that is causing rookie wide receivers to perform better right from the get-go. But I definitely think that the true, I think the, the true expectation lies somewhere in the middle. So I don't think they're going to be you know 6% win rate, but to just hammer rookie wide receivers because they've been at 94 over the last three years. I don't think that's the way to play it either. Sure, sure. So the, and the, the key element there, right, is uh, rookie wide receivers might outperform their ADP, which means don't reach for them, but yeah. look at that ADP, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You can't see that and be like, oh, rookie wide receivers are awesome. Jamar Chase, second round. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. So uh, we're going to do like a quick icebreaker segment real quick before we get into uh, the running back dead zone, which is what uh, why you're here and what I want to talk about for the bulk of this episode. Uh, this is a segment that Jen Akins came up with, Fool Me Twice, and then we're going to do running back edition. Uh, this is someone you fell for last year that you're either going back to the well on or you won't ever touch again. So uh, I've got somebody in mind for me, but Jack, who's somebody maybe you were all in last year that maybe uh, you're, you're reevaluating this year or you're going to get stuck on again this year? Yeah, I'm going with James White for this one, and I am definitely going back to the well. White was one of my highest owned running backs last year. Obviously did not work. The Patriots had, I think, 440 pass attempts the whole year. They pretty much just like ran the ball with Cam Newton every play. Um, but James White still had an 18% target share, which was third among running backs. They drafted Mac Jones. I don't know how the playing time is going to be split up between Cam and Mac Jones this year, but if Mac Jones gets any playing time this year or if he you know even starts early on then James White's ADP would probably go to the moon if we get news about that uh last year he was around RB 50 in points per game his current ADP is RB 56 so uh even if he does what he did last year that's still outperforming his ADP and then the year before that he was RB 22 and a half PPR on a per game basis the year before that he was RB 10 so I know that 
a lot of the time you look at a guy like James White and you think, oh, he doesn't have upside. Like if Damian Harris goes down, it's not like James White gets 20 carries a game. But uh, this kind of relates back to, to what I'll be doing in the near future for ETR. I'm actually working on an article right now about just the value of getting something out of those late round picks because most of the guys going in James White, James White's ADP range are going to pretty much be a zero every week. So even if James White doesn't have three down upside, if he finishes as an RB3, he's still going to post a pretty, pretty good win rate in best ball. Um, over the last six years, only 5% of running backs going in the double-digit rounds have finished as an RB2 or better on a per-game basis. So I don't think you should be looking at this as can he be an RB1, can he be an RB2 when you're going in the 18th round. I think you just need to look at the possibility that these guys are usable. And I think there's a pretty good chance, a pretty high likelihood that James White is a usable player this year. And so I'm going back to the well on James White in 2021. Awesome. I love it. And like you mentioned, that's a late round running back. So you don't really need to pay the premium that you want. Uh, any other, before I go into into my uh, fool me twice guy, uh, any other late round running backs you, you want to throw a dart on? You mentioned that uh, that's some work you're going to be working on in the future. Uh, anyone outside of James White that people should be targeting? Yeah, so uh, White, obviously, as you said, and then another one kind of in the same same mold as White is Gio Bernard. He got signed to a pretty cheap deal, and then they obviously have Rojo, they have Fournette, uh, they have Keyshawn Vaughn, if he's ever going to do anything. But I think they're going to keep four running backs, and I think Bernard is going to open the season as the, the pass catching back there, which could be a pretty lucrative role, especially since you can get him. He's, he's literally there in the 18th round like every time, so it's costing yeah. you pretty much nothing. And then uh, when I say I think they'll keep four running backs, like I don't know anything about the Bucks, but I DM, <laughs> I DM this guy Evan Winter who writes for Bucks Reports, and he says that the Bucks are gonna keep four running backs. So I've been, I have been doing uh, my research on the Buccaneers OTAs, and apparently, Gio Bernard is probably gonna make the team and play a pass catching role. And so I'm in on Gio Bernard in the 18th round. Nice, nice. I love it. Uh, I. You know, the guy I'm not going back to is Joe Mixon, uh, which isn't necessarily reasonable because I, I know he's going to get all the carries. I know he's going to get all the work, but I've just been all in on him for two years in a row. And I think, you know, two years ago, he was the 13, the RB 13, which is fine. But I think I paid, you know, like ADP of eight or nine for him. And then last year, you know, pay second round. He was hurt all year. This year, he's going early second round again. I'm just, I'm going to take Najee Harris. I'm going to take Aaron Jones. I'm going to take Austin Eckler. Somebody, somebody else in that area that I don't, that hasn't burned me two years in a row. So that's my, that's my guy. I'm not going back to the well on. Um, and then uh, my late round, but I like Philip Lindsay a lot. 15th round, 51st running back off the board according to Underdog ADP. Uh, Lindsay is probably the best running back in Houston. While I'm not excited about that offense at all as a dart throw, I feel like that's somebody who could sneak in 180 touches uh, very easily without like a whole lot of effort considering David Johnson and Mark Ingram are the, the guys that are, that, that are challenging him for touches. So uh, that's kind of my late round guy. Any thoughts on Mixon and Lindsay? Yeah, I like Lindsay too. I think he's, he's a pretty solid value at RB51. Um, and then on Mixon, this is actually the first time I'm ever going to be in on Joe Mixon. So we have, you know, a little, <laughs> a little rivalry there. I just think with Gio gone, he's finally going to actually catch the ball. Um, a stat I found that I thought was just kind of fun. I don't know how useful it is, but Gio Bernard has never had fewer than 43 targets in a season. Samaj P. Ryan, who is now Mixon's backup, has 
40 career targets. So I think this is the first time we're going to see Mixon actually catch passes. I think the reports kind of have said that. I think Zach Taylor has said some positive stuff about Mixon. But I guess my weakness might be that since I have never been on Joe Mixon before, <laughs> I, I don't have the same trauma. And so, you know, maybe this is my, my, uh, my experience this year going to be getting burned by Joe Mixon, <laughs> as, as okay. so many people have before. We could get together. I'll pour you a bourbon. We'll 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 talk about Joe Mixon a year from now. How about that? <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Let's do it. I like the Bengals love. Lots of Bengals love today. Exactly. With yeah. and Joe Mixon. This is all nice. in on the Bengals. Should be a fun offense, man. Should be yeah. a really fun. I'm excited just to watch them, honestly, which will be yeah. really cool. If Burrow is not healthy week one, then I'm just gonna be like burning money. But hopefully. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's uh, shift to our main segment. Folks, 4 for 4 has partnered with Underdog Fantasy to give you an easy way to claim a free, no-strings-attached pro subscription to 4 for 4 for the current season, plus $25 instantly deposited to start playing. Just enter 4 for 4 in the promo code box and deposit at least $10 when you sign up at Underdog. This is a screaming great deal and a fantastic opportunity for anyone who's been on the fence about joining to sign up with no risk. Sign up at Underdog Fantasy today. Jack, I read your article this past week on Establish the Run about the running back dead zone and guys you want to fade uh, in the dead zone specifically and different running backs. And I just thought it was great. It was just a really good article, really useful. Um, It's a question that we all ask ourselves in the third through eighth rounds of drafts, of best ball formats, even redraft leagues, even dynasty leagues, honestly. Uh, When we're drafting that, where where do we want to emphasize our position and what do we do about all those running backs that have so many question marks in that part of the draft after usually the first two rounds of running back heavy? Um, So, uh, like I said, it it was fantastic. Can you give us an idea of what made you so interested in that part of the draft? Yeah, so basically, it kind of started a couple years ago because I just looked at fantasy production by round for running backs and receivers and I was like wow these running backs and you know the middle rounds the middle single digit rounds are kind of terrible and you can pretty much get the same thing three rounds later so why don't we just do that and then I started doing more research and it's not an original idea like I definitely it's I th- I forget I don't know actually know who did it it might have been Sean Siegel at Rotoviz it might have been Ben Gretsch um, but it definitely was not me but it's just something that caught my eye because it's so clear how much better wide receivers are in that part of the draft and uh win rate data is something that i i go back to a lot and it can be noisy but i also think that it's it's pretty useful in cases like these running backs in rounds with a with an adp in rounds three through six have had a below average win rate for six straight seasons and wide receivers have had an above average win rate for six straight seasons so i just kind of think it doesn't really get much easier than that. And so I just kind of focus on wide receivers a lot in that portion of the draft. So, uh, so how do you usually start your drafts, like keeping that in mind? I usually like to get, I go modified zero RB a lot. And I know a lot of people hate the term modified zero RB, but I like to get at least one running back in the first two rounds. And that just to allow me to take four straight wide receivers or three wide receivers and a tight end in rounds three through six and sometimes that's not possible sometimes i i do go zero rb but just from a structural perspective i feel like this year especially it's kind of nice to get one running back in the first two rounds and so a lot of times i'll leave the first six rounds with one running back and then either 
one tight end and four receivers or just five wide receivers? I feel like I feel like lately I've been going running back tight end when I pick early and I go like running back running back when I pick late. I feel like that's kind of where I've been. Um, does your strategy differ? Have you kind of figured out, uh, based on where you're picking, what you kind of tend to like to do? And how much do you try to diversify that from draft to draft? Yeah, I pretty much do the same thing. Where I go, you know, if I get McCaffrey or Saquon or whoever, I'll get Waller or Kittle in the second round and then hammer wide receivers. And then at the end of the draft, I think there you can have some more freedom. So sometimes I go... You know, Aaron Jones and Diggs, sometimes Eckler, Mixon. So either running back, wide receiver, or running back, running back, just to get my my anchor running back before I start to hammer wide receiver. So yeah, that's pretty much my strategy in terms of diversifying. I definitely try to diversify the players I draft, right? Because, you know, I like Joe Mixon, but I don't want to end up with 50% Joe Mixon because when I get burned, like, like everyone else has over the last few years, I don't want to just be completely dead in the water off rip but structurally I actually probably don't diversify maybe as much as I should I do go running back tight end or running back wide receiver or running back running back in a lot of drafts so that's pretty much how I approach it just setting myself up to hammer wide receivers in the dead zone yeah I'm shocked with how many rosters I have right now that are like Dalvin Cook and uh, Darren Waller. Like, there's just a lot of that right now. I'm going to have to kind of diversify my thinking so I have, like, some different players in my lineup. So, though I'm not as best ball savvy as some of the other uh, folks out there, including my co-hosts, uh, Chris and Jen. Uh, Chris wanted to ask, uh, regarding the dead zone, uh, do you think that the existence of that is 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 connected to the death of the wide receiver one? Uh, a few years back, when when zero running back strategies really started to come into the the forefront of things, a lot of it was attributed to how consistent wide receivers one year were year to year. And now that data has kind of shifted, or at least been a little less consistent than we once thought. Uh, wide receiver twos have become such big parts of offenses based on just the prolific passing era that we're in right now. Do you think that's part of it, or do you think it's just how many running backs go early it just creates that dearth what do you think it is I think it's probably a combination of both one thing I've noticed over the last couple years is that as the elite wide receiver one has tapered off a little bit in favor of those wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes the running the the market has adjusted a little bit I don't know if it's adjusted enough or if it's adjusted too much but those high-end wide receivers are going later now so I think maybe there's an argument that it could even strengthen the dead zone because if those high-end wide receiver ones who you know aren't what they once were, like if they're getting pushed into the third round, that's gonna even make it stronger. Like you're seeing guys like Justin Jefferson and DK Metcalf who are wide receiver what six and seven, and now you can get them in the third round. So I definitely think there's some connection there, and because there's only a few truly elite wide receivers, we're seeing wide receiver as a whole get pushed down at the top and so I definitely think there's a connection there um I yeah I get basically I think it's kind of working in tandem like the wide the elite wide receiver isn't what it used to be but the market has reacted and so it kind of offsets each other a little bit I feel like you're right like because like Keenan Allen I've been seeing in the fourth like I know his average ADP is mid third but I'm I'm getting him in the fourth pretty regularly I'm getting Terry McLaurin in the fourth pretty regularly and it's hard to justify taking one of those running backs when those receivers are there and hard to justify spending big on DeAndre Hopkins earlier when you know those guys are going to be there I'm with you 
Yeah, you the wide receivers this year in the third and fourth, and especially the third and fourth round, are really, really good, I think. And that's part of why this year, relative to most, I'm trying to get a running back in the first two rounds, just because I do feel even stronger than usual about those third and fourth round wide receivers. Sure. So if you're picking at the back end of, of the first round, like what needs to happen for you to go receiver there? <laughs> it would take, so for me to, I'll take at least one receiver. I like, I, I do like the running back wide receiver start at the back end, but for me to start zero RB, honestly, for best ball, since I'm doing kind of high volume drafting, I kind of do some zero RB just for diversification purposes, but in a one-off draft, where I had, you know, gun to my head, I get, this is the draft I have to win. I think it would take probably, for me to start wide receiver, wide receiver, Mixon and Eckler would probably both have to be gone. Um, And then that's when I would, you know, do a Diggs, A.J. Brown or Adams or whoever start. Okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about the guys that you're fading in the dead zone. But before we get into that, based on what you just said on those diversified lineups where you're going zero running back, do you have anyone you are targeting in that dead zone to help you in those specific builds? In the zero RB builds, I think Kareem Hunt is kind of the perfect zero RB guy to target because he has the the role where, you know, he's the pass catcher in Cleveland. Nick Chubb isn't going to catch that many passes. They're going to take Chubb out and put Hunt in to catch the passes. And then it's also a really good offense, so he has some touchdown equity there too. And then if Chubb were to get hurt, uh, he got hurt for a little bit last season, but if he were to sustain a more long-term injury, then Hunt would just be immediate top five running back. So Hunt is kind of the prototype zero RB. And because of that, he's going pretty high. Like he's going in the fifth round or wherever right now. So Hunt is someone I'm interested in. I want to see where DeAndre Swift's ADP ends up now that the Lions coaches are hyping up Jamal Williams a bunch and you know I, I don't know if they're bringing in Todd Gurley which I think would be pretty dumb but <laughs> I mean I don't think the Lions are going to make the smartest decisions so if they sign Gurley I think that would push Swift's ADP down even more yeah. and so I I'm interested in Swift just because I think he's going to catch a lot of passes and because I do think he's still going to get the majority of the carries ahead of Williams and Gurley so those are two that I think are interesting but even then generally I still just like wide receivers and so if I have to wait until if I start zero if I go with a zero RB start and I have to wait until the sixth round or whatever to take my first running back so be it it just means I'm super strong at receiver Sure. Or, yeah, that, super strong receiver. That makes sense. That makes sense. I've been grabbing a lot of uh, a, a lot of Miles Gaskin, a lot of Chase Edmonds. I'm wondering if their ADPs will start rising to the point where I'm not interested. But those are in my zero running back builds. Those are kind of my targets. But I like Kareem Hunt. I think that's a great pickup. Yeah, Gaskin and Edmonds go super late on some of the other best ball sites. Like on DraftKings, you can get Gaskin kind of ridiculously late. So on Underdog, I usually just take wide receivers over Gaskin and Edmonds, but uh, there are some other platforms where you can play that I think Gaskin and Edmonds become really intriguing picks. Excellent. Let's let's talk uh, some more specific players. Uh, You talked about DeAndre Swift. I want to talk about DeAndre Swift a little bit. Uh, I'm with you. I'm intrigued by him, and I'm watching his ADP right now. That like he's going like late second, early third. That's a little too rich for me. Uh, Where's kind of your target area if he falls that you'll start targeting Swift? 
So his ADP, as soon as he gets into the third round, I think he's pretty good. His ADP now has dropped to 25.0 on underdog, and I think he's pretty decent there. I think Gurley might hurt Jamal Williams more than he would hurt Swift, just because Swift, to me, seems pretty entrenched as the pass catching back there. And I think every, everyone's freaking out about Anthony Lynn calling Jamal Williams the A-back, but what he... He, he expanded on that, and he's basically said that that means that Jamal Williams is going to get a lot, some between-the-tackles carries, but then Swift is the, the lightning in a thunder and lightning duo. So Swift is going to catch a bunch of passes. He averaged 4.4 targets per game as a rookie. I think he'll expand upon that, especially given who the Lions' other receiving weapons are. So I think Swift is going to catch a bunch of passes. I think he'll still get his fair share of carries, and so... If they sign Gurley, I think that would be more of a hit to Williams because Gurley's not going to be soaking up and really any of those carries. And so Swift now, to me, is already kind of appealing at 25.0 ADP. Yeah, I, I agree on, on the Williams-Gurley thing. Gurley doesn't affect Swift to me. I think Swift already has like a defined role for the season. I, I don't think he's going to be a 20-touch guy, but I think, like you said, he's going to be a 5- or 6-target guy for sure. Uh, and I, I don't see Gurley being a problem there. I think they want someone other than Swift doing those between the tackles runs anyway. So that would be, you know, Gurley would only really affect that to me. I uh, also want to talk about another second year guy, J.K. Dobbins. You highlighted uh, Dobbins specifically early on in your article. I uh, talked about him going in the third round. That's underdog ADP. You said that's a little too rich for you. Uh, why do you think that, that that's too rich for you, Jack? Yeah, so it's I think J.K. Dobbins, it's kind of unfortunate because I think J.K. Dobbins is a really good player, and he was electric last year when he actually was given work. But they don't really rely on one running back that much, and they brought Gus Edwards back. Um, last year, Mark Ingram was inactive for the first time in Week 8, and then over those last 10 games, J.K. Dobbins averaged 12.1 carries per game, Lamar averaged 12.1 carries per game, and then Edwards was at 9.6. And then Dobbins and Edwards combined for 2.2 targets per game. So if you're, even if you assume that the Ravens give Dobbins more, a higher percentage of the, of the market share of rushing attempts this year, you're still looking at, I don't know, 13 or so carries per game and then a target or two per game. And I think that that's kind of a tough sell in the third round. It's, he's going to be efficient just because Baltimore lends itself to running back efficiency um year over year especially under Lamar Jackson but I just can't get behind almost no pass catching work as well as a split backfield between Dobbins and Edwards and even Jackson I can't get behind that at RB17 in the early third round yeah, Jackson's, uh, you know, he's not going away with that rushing production and those touchdowns. I agree with you completely. <laughs> Chris Allen has popped on. Chris, thank you for coming. Uh, came in at a great time. I wanted to ask you if you're buying J.K. Dobbins at ADP. All right, so J.K. Dobbins, for me, I feel that there's a lot of recency bias regarding his usage because I know down the stretch, it was the last six-ish weeks of the season, J.K. Dobbins had the majority share of the touches from within the 20, similar case from within the 10. So, and he was also on a fairly decent scoring pace, if I'm not mistaken, almost a touchdown every single week towards the back end of the season. So I get why some folks might be high on the situation, but as I'm sure Jack pointed out, I mean, Lamar Jackson's not going away. They still signed Gus Edwards to a pretty, a pretty decent deal to still be a part of that rushing attack. 
So for right now, if we're looking at his ADP, he's going around a lot of other like legitimate workhorse backs. And so for me, compare it's not just about J.K. Dobbins, the player, J.K. Dobbins' opportunity, but really it's about the opportunity cost associated with drafting J.K. Dobbins around the guys that he's currently being drafted against. So for me, with a lot of the other players, so if you even think about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, players like that that are currently going around him in ADP, I would much rather take a shot on one of those guys where we have a decent understanding of their usage, we have a decent understanding of their scoring opportunities, or at least the opportunities they would have within the red zone in order to make those scoring I just would rather take a shot on those guys versus trying to figure out, is it going to be J.K. Dobbins? Is it going to be Lamar Miller? Is it going to be Gus Edwards? Because he's now become the more popular value given his opportunity within the Baltimore Ravens offense that I just feel that J.K. Dobbins is being overdrafted at this point. And I would rather at the very least have him slide back at least around, if not a little bit more before I felt a bit more comfortable with drafting him, at least at his current ADP. Excellent. Uh, Chris, I wanted to ask you real quick, since you popped on a little late, uh, we talked about the running back dead zone. You said to me, uh, kind of off air that you had some some FFPC data uh, that kind of led to a belief that the dead zone is a thing. I just wanted to wanted to ask you what that data was real quick while I got you. Yeah, absolutely. And so for some of the stuff that I found on for FFPC, it does show that a court, uh, when it comes to the scoring, if you look at average scoring across each of the positions, at least the core positions. So especially for, since it's tight end premium over at FFPC, wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs were the three positions that I compared against. And with wide receivers, they're scoring uh, on average throughout each of those rounds. So from essentially rounds three, and I actually looked at it a, a little bit longer until rounds like six or seven, that's where you would uh, actually see a lot of the I guess the higher end scoring like for wide receivers on average, where for running backs, I mean, you can actually see the slope start to decay like a much, much higher rate uh, over over that same period of time, like throughout, the, I guess, the middle ish rounds of the draft. So between rounds three through eight, running backs start to decline at a much higher rate. And actually, they don't start to pick up again until about round eight or nine, where it starts to level off. And so with wide receivers being much more stable across that same period, it's much more advantageous for drafters to start to hammer both the wide receiver and tight end position, to be quite honest, uh, throughout that uh, throughout that portion of the draft versus trying to, if anything, fill a roster spot and pick up some of the folks that uh, pick up some of the running backs that might be available in that dead area. Whereas it's been more optimal for folks to wind up going ahead and drafting one of those running backs that it's you want to fill up your stable, you want to fill out that position, but it has been much more advantageous for you to draft a wide receiver in that dead zone area versus trying to take a swing at any of the running backs that are currently going there. And actually, it's the same thing for quarterbacks as well. I know it changes quite a bit depending on which platform that you use. I know a lot of research that's been done over at Underdog because it switches from full point PPR from some of the other sites to half PPR. It be like quarterbacks become much more valuable of a position to draft than running backs. But overall, especially in that dead zone area, that three through six or three through eight, I mean, you really do have to squint in order to or hit uh, hit gold when it comes to that running back opportunity in order to find one of those guys that will give you that same opportunity that you will you will find in those first like two to three rounds of, of your draft. But Jack, uh, Jack, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because with all the research that you've done, and and highlighted in your piece over at ETR, you've talked about it. I know that uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Ben Gretsch that had done some work on it a couple years ago. I mean, but why do you think that this dead zone continues to exist year over year? 
because I, I've been struggling to figure out, even as much as you preach, uh, any of the sharp uh, analysts out there preach about that dead zone. Why, why do you think drafters still fall into that trap of, well, I'm gonna still gonna I'm still gonna go and draft, let's say a David Montgomery. I know it's probably a bad example because he wound up hitting last season, but why do folks wind up taking the David Montgomerys in the fifth round? Why are we reaching for a guy like Javante Williams in like the sixth round? Why do folks why do you think folks will still wind up drafting RBs in that dead zone area despite the analytics kind of pointing us in a in a different direction? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is maybe some of them just aren't aware of that data like as much as we are in this bubble where you know the the rb dead zone is kind of common terminology i think a lot of people just might not know about it and then i think another reason is a lot of these running backs like david montgomery like uh someone like mike davis i think kind of fits this description you can right now you can project them for a pretty decent sized workload but the, it's a lot more fragile of a workload than someone like McCaffrey or Saquon or those, those high-end RB1 or high-end RB2 type guys who are going in the first two rounds who are pretty much locked into a very lucrative workload. A lot of these guys who right now you can project for 200-plus carries or 50, 60, 70 targets or whatever, but it's just it's a lot more fragile bets than someone who is truly locked in as a, a three down workhorse and then I think another part of it is that you can look at the eighth and ninth rounds and you can see Jerry Judy and Brandon Cooks and these guys who are probably looking at triple digit targets and you think oh I don't need a wide receiver now because I can get Cook four rounds later and he's going to be the wide receiver one for a Texans team that is bad but you know they're throwing a lot so Brandon Cooks is going to get a lot of targets I can get him four rounds later Mm-hmm. So I can, I'll load up on running backs now and then I'll get those guys later. But we've seen that that's just not how it plays out in the past. No, I think that does make some sense, especially if you think about some of the wide receivers that are going in in that same in that same area. Whereas I, just like the case that you outlined, sure, if I wind up passing on a Jerry Judy, let's say at wide receiver 38, 39, I might be able to arbitrage most of, of his value with, let's say, trying to get a, a Jarvis Landry a few spots later, maybe a half a round later, or I might even be able to arbitrage, like uh, even fall a little bit farther back and pick up a Devontae Parker later. Whereas I think with some of the running backs, and correct me if I'm wrong, we are kind of projecting onto them some of that opportunity, right? It's not, it's not even just from a quantifiable standpoint, it's more of a subjective standpoint. So take a guy like Chase Edmonds, we look at who's around him in that backfield, him, James Conner, of course, they still got Kyler Murray there, but we have so much hype surrounding Chase Edmonds and what we want him to be. He gets pushed up into that area where you do have to make that decision between him and a legitimate wide receiver, whereas his workload could wind up being cut short. I mean, the opportunities that we would want for him could be cut short by either James Conner or Kyler Murray. So I, I do think that there is some sort of subjectivity that comes around when we start to look at some of those running backs where it might be the safer path or the more optimal path might be to just go ahead and take the receiver that we know has a path to targets. Because if I'm looking at, uh, let's see, underdog ADP as of right now, I guess just for sake of argument, Chase Edmonds going around the RB26 area, ADP of about, if I'm not mistaken, let's see, 62 overall. 
But at the same time, if you want to look at any of the wide receivers that are currently going around him, Brandon Ayuk is going around him. T. Higgins is going right before him. Odo Beckham is going right after him. I mean, guys that we know have secure tar- uh, secure roles in their respective offenses. So while folks might want to draft some of those guys, just again, either to get uh, be a part of the, the hype train that, are, that is connected to Chase Edmonds, it's almost a more stable bet to look at the wide receivers. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Pat Corain, who is now at NBC but used to be with ETR, did a really good article about zero RB last year that I I look back at a lot. Even if you know we all know what zero RB is, but I think that the section on projection there is pretty important. And so basically, what Pat says is that drafters consistently overestimate the re- the reliability of projections. And so, like you were saying, we can project Chase Edmonds for this workload based on it's basically him and James Conner in the Cardinals backfield but and so and so we can project Edmonds for a pretty sizable workload in a pretty good offense and that's why he's going in the fifth or sixth round right now but we pretty much tend to take those projections and just use it as gospel when we need to realize that these projections are going to be wrong and these running backs in the dead zone a lot of the time are the ones that are most susceptible to projection there because they are being projected for this big workload because a lot of the time there's no one else there, even if they're not supreme talents or even if they're not prototypical three-down running backs. They get predicted to have this, this massive workload, and so people fall in love with that. But we need to realize that these projections are wrong a lot of the time, and running backs especially, if you look at the correlation between preseason ADP and end-of-season positional ranks, running backs are easily the worst, and wide receivers are actually the best. So we're pretty good at guessing how wide receivers are going to do. We're not so good at guessing how running backs are going to do, and so I think that plays a pretty big role into it as well. When I'm looking at builds and when I'm not drafting in the dead zone, then I start looking at who I'm going to get late. And we talked about some late late dart throws earlier that we like, Jack. But uh, when you're evaluating, I start looking at those running backs, the, the 20 running backs out of the dead zone, and I see a lot of combination of guys who catch passes versus guys who are backups who like have the potential to really, really crush it if the starter gets hurt, you know? So there's, you know, you've got Tony Pollard and AJ Dillon and Gus Edwards versus Kenyon Drake and Naheem Hines and Jamal Williams. We talked about So I I wonder, Jack, when you're looking at, at later picks, uh, which one do you hold in higher esteem? I guess like, uh, you know, that backup with high end potential or that guy who's going to get you something every week based on um, receptions. I think the gold standard is someone who, and this, these guys tend to go pretty high, but I think there are some that slip through the cracks, are the guys who have a role every week, but in the event of an injury to the starter would still benefit massively. So they're not a true handcuff like um, Alexander Madison might be, but they're also not a Naheem Hines where their role isn't impacted by as much by a Jonathan Taylor injury, for example. So I think the guys that kind of fit that mold would be a Jamal Williams. Um, I think you could fit Daryl Henderson in that role. Latavius Murray is a little more sketchy this year without Breeze there, but I think he fits that too because those guys are, are, are going to get work regardless of what happens to the guy ahead of them. But in the event of an injury, they would step into an RB1 or RB2 type workload. So those are the guys 
that I try to look for. And when I'm looking for, for zero RB candidates, I think that that's pretty much the first thing I look for. Just guys who fit the mold of a, a running back with standalone value who stands to benefit massively from the chaos of an NFL season. But if given the choice between a pure handcuff or someone with value, I think it I think it depends a little bit based on where you're drafting almost because in the in the article I mentioned earlier that I'm working on right now, I'm the the claim kind of ends up being that you should focus on those guys that have standalone value even if they don't have RB1 upside. So that's in the later rounds that's kind of what I lean towards. So I try I don't hang I don't take pure backups too much just because I think that throwing away potential usable weeks in in the hopes that eventually there's going to be an injury and you'll get an RB1. I think that we kind of overestimate the probability of that happening. And so I try to get guys who are in line for some usage early on, um, even if they don't have enormous top five running back upside uh, if there's an injury. I know Alexander Madison kind of threw a, a a wrinkle in that when he came out and didn't do much when Dalvin Cook, like we were kind of expecting, oh, now he's an RB1, and then he just kind of didn't do anything. Uh, Chris, do you kind of echo similar thoughts, or do you have a different approach? No, that's exactly the way that I typically try to approach it, because I, I don't know who said it, but I know that I've heard folks like J.J. Zacharyson uh, mention it quite a bit in that we try we always over-project or overestimate who the beneficiary of an injury is going to be. And so while as of right now, so like today in May, we might think that let's say Chuba Hubbard is going to be the direct beneficiary should something happen to CMC, knock on wood. But we don't know what the team is going to do should something wind up happening. Do they bring in another back? Does he get injured at some point during the season? Do they wind up splitting it into some sort of like ridiculous committee? I, I have no idea. But it's it's always it always comes down to uh, for me at least can I at least get some usable weeks out of them and I would rather take a shot on some of those guys that are going to be sprinkled in throughout the season so a guy like Daryl Henderson whom I've been I've been more stubborn on than anything else but I think he kind of fits the mold of <laughs> a guy that we think will at least have you know, weekly he'll be the the two to Cam Akers one. He does have some usage in the passing game. I think he was more on the low end, though, maybe a 3-4% target share, but still a part of a decent offense. So you can see the path to, should something happen to Cam Akers, he would be the direct beneficiary to him. Same like Alexander Madison, like you were talking earlier. I would much rather have guys that are going to be giving, be giving me like maybe four, five, six points a week on the regular but then should something happen to the main guy, then he just kind of slots into that RB1 role and then we're, we're, you know, we're really taken off afterwards. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about how we were overconfident in who is the beneficiary of an injury. And one of my favorite examples of that is last year on Fanball, so these best ball tens, there were 5,305 total drafts and Mike Davis was drafted in 57 of them. So people, people, people were drafting Reggie Bonifin because they thought that he would be, you know, the guy who, who breaks out in the event of a McCaffrey injury, but everyone was just totally wrong. And so I think that's a really good point that, that Chris just made there. 
Can I ask, uh, again, I'm going off show sheets, because apparently I'm just I'm just a renegade today, guys. That's what I'm doing. Let's do uh, it. I, I want to ask a couple of those pass catchers. Um, one guy coming off an injury uh, has, has always seemed like he's on the verge of doing what we want him to do, but doesn't quite get there. Uh, Tariq Cohen in the Bears offense. Uh, supposedly he's healthy. Uh, should be there. David Montgomery definitely took a big step in his touches last year, but uh, I still envision Cohen to have a role. Uh, he's going like in the, you know, teenth draft round in, in underdog. I think he's I think he's running back fifty five right now in underdog. So he's basically free. Is he someone, Jack? You you uh, might target. Just your thoughts on Cohen. I think Cohen is decent. I prefer white and geo bernard and the only reason for that is that i don't know how it's going to look between Tariq cohen and damian williams for for the receiving snaps behind montgomery so i think cohen is decent but there are a couple other pass catching type backs who i would take over him who you can usually get later sure and uh chris i want to talk to you about i mean anything you have to say about cohen but i want to bring up the rookie kenny gainwell who uh nick sirianni the the new coach for philly says he sees him as a Naheem Hines type of player, uh, he's another guy available. Uh, I think he's RB54 in underdog right now. His ADP is 183, so he, you can get him whenever. Any thoughts on Kenny Gainwell? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll have to be honest with myself in that I was really, well, not necessarily pounding the table, but I was hopeful that Boston Scott would continue his role as the, I guess, essentially the one B or even the two to, Bo- uh, not Boston Scott, but uh, the two to Miles Sanders. But if you look at the draft capital that they spent, I know that Boston Scott was essentially, it was a UDFA, if I'm not mistaken, if not a sixth, seventh rounder. I mean, they uh, Gainwell has slightly higher draft capital. I get like fifth rounders, sure, it's not a ton, but it's enough for I mean for me to have to consider him over Boston Scott at this point if the coach is already talking about him in that type of role then I I get it that somebody would want to use him and it's not like he has um and like while I don't see him essentially being the complete like RB1 I mean just over 200 pounds if I'm not mistaken so do I see him having a similar uh, a similar usage to what Miles Sanders has right now should he go down okay fine you could talk me into that role uh, you can talk me into that type of usage, but do I still see them bringing in somebody else to take take over the the money touches, like the, uh, within the ten, within the twenty? I can definitely see that case happening. So I can see the case for picking up a guy like Gangwell later, but it just requires some of those things. It requires him to definitely supplant Boston Scott as the two behind Miles Sanders. It also requires, I guess, more of a like more usage, like right out the gate. Uh, in the passing game, which we don't know if that's going to happen and what that split is going to be between him and Boston Scott. So it requires a, like a, a slightly different path for him to get there, but I can understand why folks would be excited about drafting him, especially at his ADP, which is essentially free. I liked Gainwell a lot before the draft. I was hoping he would land in Atlanta or the Jets or somewhere that had uh, an easier path to touches. I don't like Gainwell as much post-draft, but I, I also understand the process behind it. I don't if they use him in a Naheem Hines role where he actually is going to be getting, you know, 60, 70 targets on the season, then I'd be totally in. But I feel like between all of the guys that they have there, I feel like it's just going to be kind of clouded. And I don't think that Gainwell is going to be the pass catching back because Sanders and Scott are both capable pass catchers too. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we've taken up enough of your valuable time, Jack. Uh, everyone be sure to follow Jack on Twitter at JackMiller02. Go find him at Establish the Run. Uh, Jack, thank you so much again for coming by. Anything else you want to say or plug before we go? 
Uh, not really. Thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Um, yeah, so thank you. Uh, Chris, a pleasure as always. Uh, thanks for popping in. Uh, sorry we started a little early, but I'm glad to have you. Any final thoughts? No, again, I apologize for my lateness. Jack, I mean, so glad to finally get a chance to sit down and talk with you for a bit. Been a huge fan of your work, whether it's been over at RV. I'm, I'm really, uh, really happy for you to be joining the ETR staff. Love Leone, Levitan, all the rest of the fellas that are over there. So really looking forward to the rest of the content that you got on. Brandon, always nice to chat with you. Uh, so, but yeah, take us home, man. All right. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon at Chris Allen FFWX. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.